0: Welcome back to the Nate Winky podcast. And today we are mainly gonna talk about Chat GPT four or GPT four, as it's otherwise known. It's essentially the next version of ChatGPT, is is really all it is. But it is quite advanced and it can do a lot of things that ChatGPT couldn't do. So I want to get into those because this is pretty cool. And if you've experimented around with ChatGPT at all, which I highly recommend you do if you have not, this is quite the change. So the biggest change between ChatGPT and GPT-4 is that GPT-4 can process image-based data. So this means that it's multimodal is the term that is used here. ChatGPT could only process text data. GPT-4 can do both, and it seems reasonable to suggest that in the future, GPT-4 or a future iteration of ChatGPT will be able to process also video and audio data as well. There's no reason to think that this won't happen. um, So that will be pretty cool when that comes out too. Now right now, even with the subscriber plus version of ChatGPT, which is how you get access to GPT-4, you The public doesn't have access to the image processing capabilities quite yet. Um, I believe it was only released to one or two companies, something like that. But eventually, you will have access to that. But you do have access to all of the new advancements of GPT-4 compared to ChatGPT. So kind of just some background about these different models. So as the iterations have continued to progress, so. GPT-1 to 2 to 2.5 to 3 to ChatGPT and finally GTP-4, they've been given access to more and more data, and they have more and more parameters. And parameters, as GPT-4 told me they were defined, is that within the context of machine learning and artificial intelligence, parameters refer to the internal variables that a model uses to learn from data and make predictions or decisions. These parameters are adjusted during the training process to minimize the error between the model's predictions and the actual outcomes. So one way to look at it is, the more parameters, the smarter it is. The more, the more it's capable of processing data and coming up with intelligent and reasoned solutions or predictions. So more parameters basically equals smarter. And ChatGPT had about 127 billion parameters versus GTP4 has about, I believe it's a hundred trillion parameters, which that's quite the difference. <laughs> I saw a graphic the other day that, that compared the number of parameters of so 127 billion to 100 trillion. And it's like a pinprick dot compared to a massive circle. And it's just crazy to think about. We're on that exponential curve. There's no doubt about it. So GPT-4 has this much larger um, access to these parameters. And it, again, it basically just makes it smarter is the simplest way to put it. Um, And it can reason better. It can answer more complex questions. Um, so I'm just going to kind of fire off some interesting things about GTP4 that are different from ChatGPT. So they they always kind of put these AIs against different, like, mm, IQ tests are some of them, but like the LSAT, the BAR, um, tests like that. And ChatGPT was tested against these. And I believe in the LSAT and the BAR, it, it was in the bottom quarter percentile in terms of competence versus GPT-4 is in the upper quartile. So it's in the 90th percentile. I think it was in the 99th for the LSAT, which is pretty crazy. So it's smarter than most lawyers at this point, which that's something. So that's pretty cool. Um, And then, let's see. Oh, this is a cool fact. You can basically, you can give it a drawing of a website on a piece of paper or even like on a napkin. So any kind of drawing... You can feed that to GPT-4, and it can create that website in seconds. It'll create the code, and you have your website, So, which is insane. So say goodbye to website design. Holy moly. Um, same thing with coding, of course. That's the other crazy thing is that it can code better than most software developers. I actually talked to a, a friend of mine the other day, and he was saying how they use... ChatGPT to code in his software development program. So that's pretty cool. Um, one of the cool things about its image capabilities is, and it's it's essentially its higher ability to reason, is it understands humor better, so you can feed it a meme, and it'll explain to you why the meme is funny. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this with your parents, but you show them a meme and they have no idea why it's funny um perhaps this could help solve that particular divide between you and your parents you could just say just go ask uh GPT-4 to explain it to you so i think that's pretty funny that it's able to do that um and part of that too is it's it's more creative so you can for example you could give it um a paper or an article that someone in particular wrote and you could say hey, I want you to copy this writing style. I want you to analyze how they write, what words they use more often than not, and then I want you to write something else using that same writing style. And it's able to do that. Or you can ask it like, I want you to say this sentence as if you were Yoda, or talk about this as if you were this particular character. And it can do it. And that's pretty cool, because GPT-3, 3.5, it could do some of that, but its ability to truly distinguish between different creative styles of writing was pretty limited. So the fact that GPT-4 can do that so well is pretty cool. Um, Another interesting thing about uh, GPT-4 is there's a bunch of companies that are integrating it into their software, into their platforms. Um, One is Stripe. It's a payment processing platform. And another is Khan Academy, which many of you have probably heard of, highly recommend. They're extremely useful. Um, and this brings us to an interesting discussion on how GPT-4 could be used in education. And I want to bring in a particular example that I've experienced myself, an anecdotal example, but I, I've i talked to enough people and the, the concept scales, but I want I want to bring this in regardless, is that so in one of my classes, actually in multiple of my classes, what I've found is that I can either try to learn the material from the professor, whom in a large number of circumstances is foreign speaking, meaning that English is not their first language, which automatically introduces a language barrier and a cultural barrier. And nothing against that, but just on a, a practical, pragmatic level, that just makes learning harder. Because it's just more difficult to understand them. So I've found that I can either try to learn from them, or I can just go look up a YouTube video on the subject and learn it in a fraction of the time. And I'm sure many people have experienced this, where YouTube videos, where information is free, succinct, prepared better, and generally the people that create them are more knowledgeable in the subject. So right now, information is basically completely free. Um, there's some barriers to that of course but overall in the information age we have access to more information than anyone ever in history and it's difficult to even comprehend that difference even the cost of a book 500 years ago was astronomically higher than than most of us could even conceive of and today almost all the information found in found in books is free on Wikipedia. So what, what's, uh, what's interesting about this is, back to my example, is I find myself going to YouTube to be taught the material that I'm paying to be taught at a university. So then you may ask the question, as any you know logical and wise person should ask, which is, why am I paying for this university education when I can go get this information for free in a more efficient manner and learn it better and faster? Well, that's a very good question. And the only reason that you are is because of the idiocy of society, effectively speaking. Because we, for whatever reason, are stuck in an old form of learning where we think that you need a stamp on a degree to determine your level of competence in a particular field. A stamp on a degree is not evidence of competence at all. Evidence of competence is demonstrated in that field or by a particular kind of test. I'm not saying it's not any evidence of competence. But the idea that universities have a monopoly on education or truth or information is just false. What they do have a monopoly on is the accreditation. So they're able to say, oh, you either have this stamp of approval or you don't. But companies have the choice to either accept that form of accreditation, that degree, as indicative of your competence in a particular area or not. And there's a number of companies, Tesla's famous for this, where they don't really care about your education. They care more about who you are, what's your experience, and what's your potential for them at the company. I generally hope that we start to move more towards this. And I I don't see how we won't. Because the university model right now is simply unsustainable. Information is free. And most students find themselves going to outside sources to learn the information in a more time-efficient manner than from the very people that you're paying to actually teach you the information. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's a Ponzi scheme. So what's going to happen, and this this is getting back to my example, is that more and more people are going to recognize this, and people are going to recognize that the value of a university degree has continued to decrease. And what's interesting about GPT-4 is that actually it's being integrated into Khan Academy. So Khan Academy um, is an extremely useful resource, um, which is effectively a college online. Most of their content is free. And they're experimenting with hooking up GTP4 as kind of like your personal tutor. So you can ask it questions. It can keep track of what you have and have not learned. Um, it has a memory capability. And you can interact with it in a way that you'd interact with a teacher, but it's an AI. And the irony is the AI is infinitely smarter than that teacher. There certainly isn't a human element, and of course it has its limitations. But It's free. And the difference between a thousand plus dollar university course and a free course by Khan Academy or a a set of YouTube videos that you can access for free is massive. So from an economic standpoint, from a cost benefits standpoint, the the current university system just simply can't stand. It just can't. So I am fascinated to see what will happen over the next 10 to 15 years as – AI is integrated more and more into the education system. And I think overall, I think it will certainly be for the good, especially from an economic perspective. The information is already free. All the university has is the accreditation. Once society starts to realize that and starts to realize that the value of a university degree has continued to go down and stops accepting it as the critical litmus test as to your ability to be competent in a particular area or not, More and more people are going to look for other ways to predict competency and switch to other ways of learning information. And I hope and I think that AI will play a greater role in that. And it just makes a lot of sense that it would. Interacting with a Wikipedia page with memory, with something that's smarter than you and knows more than you on the subject. And then, of course, it'll be interesting to see. This is something I was thinking about the other day. Like... You can imagine that you might have, like, your own version of Chat GPT or GPT-4 or whatever. Because in some ways you already do because it remembers previous conversations. So if you've ever used the interface, there's a set of old conversations that are on the left side or however you've set it up. So it remembers these conversations. And you can imagine an even greater personalized version that starts to get to know you better. This is kind of like how social media algorithms work. Um... Speaking of which, great documentary, uh, Social Dilemma. Tristan Harris is one of the directors of that documentary. Dives deep into the fact that all of the YouTube algorithms, all of the social media algorithms are designed to present to you exactly what you want to see to make you click. Um, Fascinating documentary. Highly recommend it. And you can imagine hooking up an AI to it, which the algorithm's are already interacting with AI, of course, but... On on like a personal level, like having your own AI essentially is kind of the idea here having your own personalized gpt four or whatever iteration that gets to know you better and can then inform you on on new subjects better because it has knowledge of what you do and do not know and that's pretty cool it's also terrifying but it's pretty cool as well so that'll be pretty cool to see what happens down the road with that um And it's – back to my university example because I I think this is just insane. The irony is the degree that I'm pursuing right now is called Industrial and Entrepreneurial Engineering. And hypothetically, one of the core tenets of the degree is cost-benefit analysis, finding out how to do things more efficiently. And I find myself going to sources like ChatGPT – Wikipedia, YouTube, to learn information in a more cohesive and straightforward manner with no language barrier from people in the case of YouTube that are far smarter than the professor I'm paying to teach me the information, and I learn it infinitely faster than I do in the classroom. So it's ironic that a degree that's hypothetically about efficiency is actually pursuing a rather inefficient way of pursuing information and, and learning information. So that's horribly ironic, especially when you look at your bank account at the end of the day. So that's fun. Um, and then here's just another example of the fact that, so with this whole AI thing is, we we barely can even comprehend how fast this is, is this advancing and how fast it's going to continue to advance. So the example of parameters is interesting because, again, ChatGPT has access to about 127 billion parameters versus GPT-4 has access to about 100 trillion. So we're on this exponential curve, and it's difficult to even comprehend exponential curves and exponential distributions. We're not wired that way as humans, but we're just going to continue to go along this curve, and it is going to be absolutely fascinating where we are at in 50 years with this. I mean, it is... It's difficult to even predict because of how fast it's moving. Like... You almost... You almost don't even dare predict where we're going to be at because... Who knows? There could be some innovative breakthrough that just shatters our current reality. And that seems fairly likely. So... That's pretty interesting. Um... Another another random example between the difference between GPT-3.5 and GPT-4 is just the number of words it can process. So, ChatGPT, it's about 3,000 words, GPT-4 is about 25,000, and eventually there won't even be a cap. So that's coming down the pipeline, so that's pretty interesting. Um, What was the other thing? Um, So, oh, we could do the movie example. So this is pretty crazy. So what's going to happen is right now we have the ability to generate audio and video data from famous people where we have a large corpus of data to train the AI algorithm on. So, for example, like Joe Rogan, um, he has probably tens of thousands of hours now of video and audio data out there. So you can imagine you can hook up an A.I. model to try to emulate and copy Joe Rogan as a person, emulate his style, um, get the expressions of his face correct to the point where you can type in, I want you to say, I want you to make a video of Joe Rogan saying this, and of course it could be something perfectly harmless. Or it could be something nefarious, which seems likely and is already happening. And these are called deep fakes. And I've talked about this before. But the more, as this continues to scale and as this becomes more widespread, a larger and larger percentage of the stuff on the interwebs will be generated by, by AI. This seems very likely. Now, will it ever be 100%? I don't think that's likely. But certainly it's going to increase when do we... At what rate, it's not entirely clear. But certainly it's going to increase. Well, one interesting thing that has already been used is people have used deepfakes, or AI-generated video data, in movies. So this has already happened, where someone gets sick or dies, or there's a particular scene that they want to generate with an AI. Well, what's eventually going to happen is, why have people actually act out the movie when you can just have the AI generate it? This is what's going to happen. You're going to be able to type into an AI, and you're going to be able to say, all right, I want you to use the data from the past 50 years on the highest grossing movies, and I want you to then predict in the next year what the number one blockbuster is going to be. I want you to then write the plot of the movie. I want you to then source the characters – their roles, the script, everything that we would need for the movie. I then want you to generate the movie. I want you to create the video of the movie. I want you to add in the special effects. I want you to generate the whole damn thing. And it's going to be able to do it. So what happens to acting when you can just have an AI generate person talking, a person interacting, a person in a movie um, doing their thing. And that is a fascinating thing that I don't think many people are thinking about. But it seems logical that this is going to be the eventual ending point. It's interesting to think about whether or not... I mean, I guess you'll still have celebrities, but the movies that they're in will all be generated by AI. Because you probably still need... Like, if you want to emulate a real person, you still need data. So, if they're in previous movies, you can just use that. But, like, how's that going to work over the next 50 years? I have no idea. But it's fascinating to think about. And that whole movie example is just... It's going to happen. I mean, we can debate about the speed and how, how competent it's going to be how sophisticated it's going to be at what time. But I have not read any solid objections to think that it won't actually happen. I'm curious if people have them because if you think there is some, there's some lack of scalability in this, that it hits some kind of limit in terms of specifically video production here, the movie example, I would be fascinated to know it because I have not been able to think of what, what could stop it. Certainly things can slow it down. Um, but what could stop it? And then here's another one of my, I don't know, rabbit holes of thought that I've gone down. So right now we're, there's a large number of companies that are investing in quantum computing. And the idea behind quantum computing, if I dare to even try to explain it, is that basically supercomputers, regular computers, operate on static discrete variables so either a 0 or 1 in computer language it's either a 0 or 1 quantum computing can operate with both zeros and ones at the same time continuous variables and I'm probably not explaining this perfectly but the point is is that the biggest difference between quantum computing and regular computing is quantum computing is infinitely faster so just to spit out some numbers just to give an example I don't think these are accurate but they're they're close enough to get the idea across is most passwords encryptions etc the reason that they work to a large extent is because supercomputers aren't fast enough to crack them it could take supercomputers like a million years to crack some of these codes So the advantage of something like a quantum computer is what would take a supercomputer a million years. It can do in like 10 minutes, something like that. And obviously I don't have those numbers exactly correct. You can can actually go look those up and see the specific differences. Um, but this is, this is going to be crazy. So in connection to GPT-4 here is you can imagine that you can hook up an AI to one of these quantum computers. And then you could also imagine that you, you know, give it access to the internet and that's going to be crazy. I mean, that's going to be insane. So I'm pretty uh, pretty terrified and also hyped for that. That's pretty cool. Let's see. I think I hit on most of the topics I wanted to talk, talk about. Mm, in other news, Trump is likely going to get arrested by our own government. That's fun. Um, we had one of the larger bank collapses in the last decade. That's fun. Which, we'll see. I, I don't think it, it will have a ripple effect. I doubt it. Like, a large-scale. It's, it's had a minor-scale ripple effect. Of course, the Fed came in and decided, uh, or the FDIC came in and decided that it was going to cover basically everything. Which, maybe, is probably another episode. But the moral hazard that this whole situation has permeated, uh, perpetuated, is vast. And I don't even think we realize the consequences of this because if you're not punished for bad investing decisions and bad practices and you're just constantly insured, why would you not continue to, I don't know, commit those exact same bad practices because you're not, you're not incentivized not to? So that's a problem. Um, I don't know. That's really the, the main the main things of the day. But yeah, the ChatGPT GPT-4, the GPT-4 thing, was the main thing I wanted to talk about. And I think that's just going to blow our socks off. So, short episode today. Um, hope you enjoy it. And uh, go test out GPT-4. Thanks for listening.